Welcome to Business with Beers. I am your host, Brian Beers. This is a podcast for business owners who want to scale their business to massively grow their income and contribution by investing in people, process, and technology. This week, I've got a great show with Chris Walsh. Chris is the CEO of MJ Biz Daily, which is the marijuana industry's largest business-to-business news outlet. They also host the largest marijuana industry convention, attracting over 30,000 people to Las Vegas every year. In this episode, we talk about the path to legalization, who are the different players in the supply chain of producing it, the opportunities for entrepreneurs looking to break into the industry and where investors can look to deploy their capital. Chris makes a great point that while most people think of the marijuana industry as just growing and smoking a plant, there are lots of ancillary jobs that are created that support the industry. This includes you know, real estate things, attorneys, accountants, there's manufacturers of lighting equipment, fertilizer, there's marketing, there's social media, there's transportation and more. And before we get into the show, I wanna tell you about an extraordinary offer from a company that I am currently using called My Outdesk. My Outdesk offers professional virtual assistant services and they also happen to be rated the number one virtual assistant company by Tech Radar with over 700 five-star reviews. My friends and associates are among the thousands of very satisfied customers. And I always get a lot of listeners asking questions on how do I scale while lowering my costs. I use my Outdesk and save 70% versus a traditional in-person hire. So for Business with Beers listeners, MyOutDesk is offering a free double your business strategy session. Simply go to myoutdesk.com slash beers, as in my last name, to schedule a call. On this call, you can work one-on-one with one of their business consultants to design an action plan to hire and launch a virtual assistant into your business today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics covered in this podcast, check out brianbeers.com to sign up for my newsletter, delivering content directly to your inbox. All right, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, you know, before we get into marijuana business, this wouldn't be business with beers if I didn't ask you that. Me and you are at a bar uh, having a, having a drink. What are we having? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to rattle off a few here. I'd say I'm a big fan of Easy Street Wheat and Colette. Uh, if you haven't had that, that's my divide. Colette is, and then I, I also like sours, but I like the uh, La Roja by Jolly Pumpkin and uh, Duchess out of Belgium. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, I've heard of uh, not any of them. I don't think so. I'll have to <laughs> well, you <laughs> got, got some new, new ones for your list. Yeah, you go. Uh, that's awesome. So, if you could share your story, who you are, uh, what you do, and yeah, how you got into you know the kind of the marijuana industry. Yeah, I uh, I'm the CEO of MJ Biz, and we do uh, we provide news and analysis and market research and business-to-business trade shows for the cannabis industry. Uh, and and we, don't, we don't target consumers or patients or advocates necessarily or the general public. This is really about helping the business people and investors that have created this whole new industry over the past decade plus. Uh, we got started in 2011. My background is in business journalism. So I worked for newspapers and was a reporter covering everything from sports business, to the skiing industry, to the economy, to high tech. Uh, And then I lived in South Korea. And when I moved to South Korea, there were no medical marijuana dispensaries in Denver, which is where I'm from. And when I came back two years later in 2011, there were more dispensaries in Denver than Starbucks. So 
whole industry kind of came out of nowhere while I was gone. And uh, the two co-founders of this company hired me to help launch what became MJ Biz. And uh, so we started, you know, providing kind of business intelligence, like a traditional trade publication. And then that grew into uh, this big, big, big trade show that we run in Las Vegas. Okay. And that's where we bring the entire industry together. Okay. Is it, is it like one of the largest marijuana focused trade shows? In, oh, it is the, the largest. Is and, it, and is, my, okay. My journalism background prevents me from saying, uh, from like, uh, using euphemisms or superlatives when it comes to us. Uh, so it is the largest. I'm not just saying that. Uh, in, in 2019, before COVID, we got 30, about 33,000 attendees, and we had about 1,100 exhibitors at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Okay. Yeah, that's significant. Yeah. Massive awesome. trade show. That's awesome. So let's talk about first, I guess, legalization and what is, uh, I guess maybe you can kind of give us a landscape of, of where it's at now. I know a lot of different states have medical um, you know, legalization and a number of going recreational. Um, maybe you could start start by that and kind of then where, where it is today and then where you see uh, in the next three to five years, like what the landscape's going to look like. Yeah. So when we started the business in 2011, we had no idea if this industry was going to be around in a year or two because the it's, it's still legal today. And it was back then. The stigma was much bigger back then. And no one knew if there were going to be raids. Yep. And there were raids by the federal government. And no one knew how this was going to work. So at that time, there were about a dozen states that had legalized medical marijuana. The voters had done that over several years. And uh, entrepreneurs started saying, okay, it's legal in my state. I'm going to open up businesses. So that's how the industry kind of formed. And um, and what we've seen since then is if you go over the last decade, now we have 38 states, you know, from versus a dozen, yep. 38 states that have legalized medical marijuana, plus Washington, DC. Um, and you have 19 states that have legalized recreational or adult use marijuana, 19 now. Oh, wow. uh, DC, <laughs> not federally, but the jurisdiction of DC has legalized both. And so uh, that's where we are today. And we've really seen uh, the dominoes start falling in a good way the last couple of years uh, with recreational. And uh, on the legalization front, um, we had five states with measures, legalization measures on the ballot in the election last year, the general election. And all five voters in all five states passed their measures to legalize recreational or medical marijuana, including red states like Mississippi and mm -hmm. South Dakota. Uh, so this has crossed party lines this is across the entire country. And since then, when we talk about legalization, we've had a handful of states legalize through their legislative process, including New York, mm -hmm. uh, recreational marijuana, Connecticut, New Mexico, Virginia. And then you've had Alabama legalize medical. So that's where we stand today. Uh, on legalization, the federal government still considers marijuana a Schedule One drug up there with heroin. Yeah, yep. uh, even yep. though most of the population in the country lives in a state now that has legalized some form of marijuana, the federal government says this is one of the worst things that you could ever put in your body, and it's illegal. Uh, but it looks the other way and doesn't really target the industry. Um, and so that's that's where we are. And as we look forward. You know, more states are lining up uh, to legalize either through their legislatures or through the ballot box. And so we expect this continued legalization train to, to gain steam until eventually you have the map all green 
colored green with states that have legalized. And maybe then the federal government will do something. There, there are attempts to legalize marijuana federally or to reschedule it into a different category uh, or to decriminalize it or to fix a, a terrible situation for the industry and banking. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of um, opposition still. Do you think, do you think Biden will get it done while he's still the president? Well, Vice President Harris came out before the election saying that she supports decriminalization. Um, and that was positive. Biden, uh, unfortunately, um, is stuck in kind of this old mentality that is still prevalent, really only in some deep red states, some rural areas and, and in the halls of Congress. Uh, that, you know, marijuana is this evil devil's lettuce type thing that, you know, harms society and, you know, gets everyone to the, where they can't concentrate and they're walking around on the streets, you know, yeah, zombies, yep. not working. And um, so he, he really has been, he hasn't been a champion for it at all. And in fact, he came out at one point during the campaigning and and had to reverse what he said because he said, I don't think it should be legal. And there was an uproar because all the states that support him have legalized. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, anyways, I don't know if he's going to get anything done. It's really going to be Congress at the end of the day that does mm-hmm. it. There's still a lot of resistance from um, representatives of particularly conservative states. Yeah. What's the tax revenue look like? Like, I, I'm sure they, they tax the heck out of it, right? But this is an interesting part of the industry is every state handles it differently. So they all have different taxes. In some cases, it's taxed all across the supply chain from the cultivation to every every stop. It's taxed. every step. Okay. Others, it's just charged at the purchase. Uh, and it ranges from a couple percent to 20, 25 percent or higher. Um, and is what states are trying to do is they obviously want to get enough money to regulate the industry because you need to, you know, there's regulations around it. You want money to help the community. And you've seen states do that and, and put that money into schools and roads and et cetera. Um, but if you go too high, you, um, you turn, you push people back into the black market. So yep. you can make a lot of money of this as a state and, and revitalize communities and economies, but you have to find the right balance. Yeah. How much, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if you could notice or not, but like for your average state legalizing it, like what percentage increase could they get in their, their, their budget? Is it like a, a 5% increase in their budget? 10%? Like how, how big or how significant is this to them? It, it's, it's hard to paint a broad picture because every state is so different. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't become like 10% of their budget or anything. You know, a whole state's budget is huge, but you know, it's, it's, it can be in the, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, it can stretch into the billions over a decade in some of the mm. bigger states. Uh, it's a lot of money. Um, yeah. Okay. If you're using it correctly as a state, it can make a real difference. Now, there's there's states where it isn't making a difference because they're not using the money in the right ways. Sure. Um, but but there is that that benefit of legalization for sure. Okay. So let's talk about you know the the marijuana industry, the supply chain. Like, where, I guess where. Let's start with the beginning. Where does it all start, right? Obviously, I guess on the the farms or, or wherever it's cultivated, and then uh, so what, what does that look like? And can you who are the players, kind of as you move along the chain to you know the end user? Yeah, I'm going to focus on what we call the plant touching uh, part of the industry, which is what most people think of when mm-hmm. they think of cannabis. But there's a whole other sphere out there that I will touch on uh, after. So yeah, I mean, you you have companies that grow marijuana; they can grow it. Depending on their state's rules, every state is completely different in their rules because they've all done this on their own. There's no blueprint without any federal government oversight. So they all kind of have done it 
according to how their regulators think, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you might be able in some states to operate a standalone cultivation facility. In other states, you have to control the entire supply chain. Hmm. Um, it starts with cultivation. Um, there are companies growing outdoors if it's allowed in their state in big fields. There are companies growing in greenhouses. There are companies growing in warehouses. Um, and these can these can be massive uh, operations depending on the state. And so, you know, you're 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 basically growing marijuana and and everything that goes into that. It's like a, a lot of other plants. Yep. Sure. So it's an agricultural thing, and you have to know how to do it. And you know, there there are big players emerging. It is it is hard to really cross state lines because you can't ship marijuana uh, from mm. state to state. So a lot of the cultivation side is is state based. So the companies are usually mostly focused in one state and that's what they grow for that state. They might control parts of their supply chain. So they might grow for themselves and don't wholesale anything. It's all over the board. So then you have the processors, which may be part part of the cultivation operation. It may not. And they take the plant and they, uh, you know, they can turn it into oils. They can extract oils and Mm -hmm. you can uh, kind of like e-cigs, but for for marijuana, and you can have it in a in a little um, basically e-cig and mm-hmm. smoke it that way. You can use the oil and other extracts and put it in uh, an array of products. So this is the stage where they take that plant and then they take the oils and other parts of it and they develop products from it. So it's not just if you have if your listeners haven't been and seen what's going on with this industry, um, flour or the part you smoke is only a part of it. It's the majority still, but what you've seen is this innovation. So you walk into a recreational store in many uh, states and it's marijuana infused gummy bears, uh, chocolates, mints, bath bombs. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. It looks like a regular kind of almost like a convenience store in some cases. Okay. brands. So that part of the industry makes those types of products. And then you have the retail side, which is obviously the most front facing part of the industry. And that's where you have dispensaries on the medical side, uh, and these are storefronts. And then you we call them kind of recreational stores in rec markets, and they are the retailers and they sell all this product to the consumer or the patient. And you're seeing chains develop both on this side. You're seeing national brands develop as while you can't ship marijuana across state lines, they've gotten creative. They're winning licenses in multiple states using their SOPs, their um, intellectual property, hooking up with people, and now you have common stores and common products that are in multiple states, just like a Starbucks, mm. McDonald's, et cetera. Um, so you have big players now in these two areas that are in multiple states that have a brand uh, that's known uh, across the country. And that's been an evolution. Recently. Are they like licensing it or franchise? Or is it kind of like they're just setting up these operations Both. in each state? It, it, it It's everything. It's They might own all their own ones and they they try and win a license in Massachusetts or Pennsylvania or California. And uh, then they just kind of replicate what they've done in their home state. In other cases, they find partners who then win the licenses and they work with those partners to replicate what they've done. Uh, in other cases, they look for, for people in, in kind of a franchise yeah. model. Um, it's all over the board. So who, who, who has the biggest margins here? in terms of the guys growing it, processing it, or the, the end, end retailers? Again, it's all over the board, depending on the regulations in your state, the tax structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does vary. Um, and so that's the one thing, the takeaway with the cannabis industry is it's you can't paint anything with a broad brush. It's so state dependent. Um, but in general, you know, 
cultivators can have decent margins if you get to scale, especially. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, in some states, it's becoming more like a commodity, right? And prices yep. have gone down. Um, infused products, uh, you can sell for decent margins. You can charge a lot for them. Um, so that, that can be a good part of it. Retail could be the leading sector of the industry, but um, this federal tax code, I won't go into the details, but basically the retailers can't take the common business tax breaks that every other business in this country can take. So they pay taxes to the federal government. Like, like what? what? What's one they can't take? Oh, there's, it's just a whole bunch of standard business taxes that you would have running a business uh, on some of your expenses. So they, um, and, and this is what many businesses rely on to, you know, to, to go forward and to yeah. be successful. And so like in, in marijuana, the government wants, you have to pay taxes. You pay the federal government taxes, even though they say what you're doing is illegal. And, uh, and even though they don't give you any type of, of the common tax break, so your profit margins shrink. Now, without this law, which people are trying to get changed, it's called 280E. If that, if marijuana is treated more like a normal business, the profit margins would soar and it would be a very potentially profitable part of the industry. So like, can they deduct their payroll costs? No. Okay. So they're paying taxes on their sales like like we would pay it on our income, our net income. That's yeah. That's basically what you're saying. Like they can't deduct yeah. their rent. They can't deduct. Yeah. Just like when you go into your taxes to file and you're saying, okay, I donated to this nonprofit and I, you know, I donated some clothes and I paid my HOA fees and I paid insur- um, the insurance company, you know, on my mortgage. I uh, paid all that. Um like all the all the costs associated with running the business. You're saying yeah. for the re, for the is that is that at every level? Is that just the retailers? Uh, it mostly affects the retailers. Okay, all right, that's crazy then. Yeah, because you know it's, it's a significant part of the business, right? So, is and this the, is a twenty billion dollar industry. It generated, according to our estimates, twenty billion with a B dollars at the retail level across the U.S. last year, and is is likely going to double in the next couple of years. So, you know, it's not like this tiny. Yeah. Uh, off the grid thing. It's a big industry. Yep. Is is uh, any tobacco players getting into it in terms of the, like the cultivating side of it? Um, they're trying to. What you find is the mainstream companies are absolutely have plans. They're they're at our show. They're reading our stuff. They've made some small bets in some cases. They're looking into Canada where it's federally legal. You've had some big brands go up there, um, but the tobacco companies are absolutely in it. Some of them have made some plays. You've got British. Um, tobacco just did some kind of deal to get into the industry. This is a growth area for them. Yeah. They haven't gotten fully in because it's federally illegal. And that's what you hear from most mainstream companies. But but I do want to really highlight really quickly because it's really, really important for anyone listening. The industry isn't just about those parts that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. The whole area that is just as, you know, is just as promising that we call ancillaries. And that's all the companies that serve the industry or develop things for consumers like vape pens, uh, but they don't touch the plant. Like that's what we do. We do media and events, yep. touch marijuana. We're not growing marijuana. So there's packaging companies, there's branding companies, there's marketing lawyers, there's HR, there's uh, lighting equipment for the grows, like you name it in any yep. other industry, this industry has. And there's a huge sphere of uh, opportunities there and billions of dollars annually that are changing hands. Yeah. So sometimes they probably the governments look at it like a narrow scope of just marijuana, but really it creates jobs and it creates income for for like I said all the supporting of an of an industry that you know 
up until recently, it was totally the black market. They're not hiring attorneys, right? And they're not hiring uh, some yep. of these these people. So, um, h- how big is it on the on the black market side? Like, if it was totally legal recreational, h- how big would it be? You said twenty billion now. Like, yeah, I hate to throw out numbers because it's such a throwing a dart and seeing where it lands. Um, there's really no way to estimate it. No one talks about it. It's obviously, it's the underground market, but I can tell you, it's you know, it, it is it is easily, you know, probably 60, 70, 80 billion on the low side. If you were to just, everything was legal and all that money went to the yep. legal market. Yeah, so absolutely. Yep. It's huge. So one of the things you touched on a little bit is, is the kind of the banking side of it. And from my understanding, you know, like it's, it's heavy cash, right? People can't use their credit cards. So they're, they're paying in cash. These businesses from what I understand, right? None of the, the major banks, you probably Wells Fargo's of the world's Bank of America's won't take it. And so I guess maybe what's what's the evolution of that? How did it look when it first started? Uh, where, I mean, would these guys have storage lockers full of cash and they're paying employees and vendors in cash? And I guess what's it maybe look like today? And, and you know, what's the future there? Yeah, it's crazy to think um, it's still an issue, but especially in the early days, it was all cash. And so they were, um, these, these storefronts were taking taking money, they were taking cash and they were storing it. There were security issues. Obviously you had to be careful. Some were bringing it to their home. Some obviously had safes. Um, and then you had to go pay your state taxes and you had to bring, they, you would bring in, you know, bags full of money. I mean, and this wasn't that long ago and it still happens yeah. in cases. Um, so, uh, it, it's a, what about sales tax, right? That's probably, if I guess that's what I'm saying, you're bringing yeah. in money to go pay sales tax. Okay. Right? Yep. Um, uh, so you've got to go to your local tax office and and pay the money because you don't have it in the bank because no bank will take it. Um, it's evolved since then. And a lot of companies are able to find banks. Um, they are not the major players. The, the major banks will not do it because it's federally legal. They don't want to risk their everything they have on the line. So what you have is there's some specialty banks in various states that cater to the industry. There are community banks. There are credit unions. So the industry has found banks. I think there's five or six hundred that have mm-hmm. said they will serve or they have clients in the industry overall. Um, so it, it it has been relieved a little bit, but it's it's a big issue. It's mainly for the companies that actually touch cannabis. Like our company, though, has even we don't touch it, right? We help the industry, but we don't touch it. We've even had problems with banks with um, mm-hmm. credit card processors for our own accounts. It's gotten a lot better. Yep. But this, this is kind of a chronic issue in the industry. Does does every state have banks that are willing to take the money? Yeah, they do, and 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 uh, you know some are public about it. Some say, "Hey, we're here for the cannabis industry." Others, it's really like on the down low. Yep. Um, or or it's just not something they actively promote. Uh, in some cases, you know, it really comes down to your relationship. If you ran another business or you have a good personal history with a bank, yep. they might say, "Okay, cool." We're going to do it for you. Uh, and in some cases, you get the account. In a lot of cases, you get the account. You even you can have it for years. The wrong person sees it higher up in the company. Hmm. And wait, what is this? Why are we doing this? You could lose your bank account overnight. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, they got to fix that. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully if they do something, right, that's like an easy one, you'd think. Um, We've been saying that for 10 years and they haven't done anything. <laughs> so for like a budding entrepreneur who wants to get into the marijuana space, wh- where would you direct them now, right? There's tons of different players, right? There's all these niches. Uh, what would be your recommendation? I go back to what I was saying. I would um, figure out what you're good at. You should know it by now. Like where are your strengths? Where are your passions? What are your skills? What have you been successful in? 
you can find that in the cannabis industry. Again, it's not just growing. If you know how to grow, great. If you know, if you've owned or worked at a retail store, great. Those are obvious angles. Um, if you've developed an expertise in real estate or technology or whatever, that's where people normally don't think. Mm. It's like, no, there are needs. At, like I said before, every industry has some base needs and this one has all of them. And if you think about it, what does a retail store need? Well, again, it needs interior design. So if you're an interior design, great. Mm. It needs uh, construction and engineering, right? It needs um, people to work at the front desk. Um, and so uh, it needs marketers. And you can go through each element, each segment of this industry and have the same discussion. Growing cannabis requires greenhouses or infrastructure or lighting or soils or nutrients. Um, it requires back office stuff like finance, you know, and <laughs> HR, um, all the things another industry needs. So I would say start there, right? And figure out what, what you're good at and, and what, what can translate to this industry. And then the other, the other piece of advice is um, just you have to learn about the industry, right? It's, it's not... It's very hard to just jump into this industry because it's very complicated. Yep. Um, so yeah, you can do it at some levels. If you want to be a, what they call bud tender and work at a shop, you can just go apply and hopefully you get it. Uh, if you're looking to start a business or, or go in a different direction, you really have got to understand it. So we, that's what we do. We, we try through MJ Biz Daily and our conferences to educate people on how this industry works. Um, but it, it does take a lot of uh, initial due diligence. So you understand the full opportunities that are out there for you and you understand how the industry works. Yep. What about what about for investors who want to be exposed to it? Is it publicly traded companies yet, or is it still kind of private no. equity finding the ones to to invest in? So you've had a, a evolution in this regard where the industry couldn't find money uh, for many years because no one wanted to invest in a marijuana company and potentially lose it all uh, or get targeted by the government. Now you have publicly traded companies. A lot of the biggest ones in the U.S. trade in Canada on the Canadian exchanges, but you can buy here because okay. it's Fully legal up there, uh, and 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 there are Canadian companies too that all people have been investing in that are publicly traded. You have companies here on the Nasdaq and on the New York Stock Exchange. Some of them are like us and they don't touch it. There's software companies. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's you know Scott's Miracle Grow is a major. Uh, and most people know that that name. They've opened sure. up a division just tied to cannabis called Hawthorne. They're publicly traded. You know, so um, there's a lot of opportunities there, and then there's more institutional hedge fund wall street type investors getting involved it's not it's not where it should be but they're taking a serious interest and then you have kind of those people with $20,000 $100,000 kind of angel type investors mm-hmm. that there's a lot of activity around that where they're putting some money into these uh, startup companies and and taking a shot okay great uh, let's talk about MJ Biz uh, for a minute. Maybe you could tell me about you know how you kind of mentioned how it started, but what's it, what's the company kind of grown to now? Um, you know, you kind of gave us the, the preface already. It's one of the largest kind of B two B. You don't really work with consumers. You're an you're an industry data company, right? So all these players that we talked about, you know, they're coming to you. You're kind of sharing the wealth of knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. So what's it, what's it look like now? Yeah, when we started. Uh, it was the two co-founders, and and I was really the only full time person kind of working on this and building it uh, more on the editorial side, really understanding the industry, writing for people in the industry, learning about it. Um, and then we grew, we grew into the market research. I grew the journalism team and I come from a journalism background and everyone we've hired on that team does too. So uh, that was missing in the industry when we started that people weren't taking mm-hmm. it seriously. There was no reliable source of information to understand all the crazy developments going on and also to understand how you can be successful in this industry. So that's how we built 
the company. Um, and then we built, you know, our events and uh, including MJ BizCon, which is our one in Vegas. When we first started that in 2012, we couldn't find a venue that would take us. Now we're in the Las Vegas Convention Center in two halls and they love us there and work very closely with us. So, you know, along the way, we've added staff. Um, we're, we're in the mid 50s now with the editorial slash journalism side being the largest department, but we have sales and marketing. Uh, we have IT, you know, we have all the back office stuff. Um, and, uh, and so that's how we've grown. Now, we did have a very difficult uh, 2020 uh, when most mm-hmm. of the revenues are generated from live events and those disappear mm-hmm. overnight without any uh, clarity on when they'd come back. We, we had to make really tough decisions. It was a, it was a brutal year. And so we were closer to, to 85, 90 employees and had plans to hire more, but uh, we had to adjust to the reality of the situation. Yeah. So, so the majority of the income is, is from the live events and the conventions, from the in-person trade shows. Is that... Yeah. The majority of events come from that. And then we do have, uh, which we put more effort into building up the foundation on the editorial side. So we also generate revenue from ads in emails, on our websites, uh, in our reports. So there's a, a heavy kind of a heavier publishing side, but the events are the bulk of it. Okay. Do you, do you have like a membership service where these companies subscribe for kind of this industry exclusive data too? You know, we have not um, gone the subscription route. So our news uh, is free and uh, our newsletter is free. Our website is free. MJBiz Daily. We also have Hemp Industry Daily covering the hemp and CBD industry. I'm sure a lot of people heard of CBD. Um, and we, you know, we've kept that available and accessible for people mm-hmm. in the industry. Our research reports in general are free as well. Um, the only thing we really charge for on that end is our fact book. And that's the annual, like, you know, couple hundred page data heavy look at the industry. Okay. All right. And what, uh, what are the two big goals you're working on now in terms of moving, moving the company? Um, what are you looking to achieve? You know, we're really, um, our, our event in Las Vegas is the week of October 18th. And our whole focus has been on, on sure, ensuring that, that, that this event is going to be successful. Um, at, you know, coming out of a pandemic, people are all over the board on what they're comfortable with, on what precautions should be in place. Some people hate masks. Some people won't go anywhere without them. Some people want vaccines. Some people won't get on a plane. Some people rip masks off other people. You know, we've got this crazy situation. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're trying to make sure that that, that, that our, all our focus has been on MJ BizCon and making that successful uh, this year as we come out of the pandemic. Knock on wood. Um, but we're also looking to the future. And I mentioned all the states that legalized uh, earlier since November. Mm-hmm. And so we're really trying to capture that growth in the industry. All the new people coming in, uh, they're going to be starting businesses, the current people expanding them. And how do we best serve the industry going forward through everything we do so that this, so that cannabis becomes professional, more professional, more mainstream. It keeps its quirkiness, its cultural side that makes it different from other industries. Uh, and, and how do we best, you know, handle all the growth that's coming and, and help the industry thrive. And so that's what we're looking to do before the pandemic. We, we're global. We had held events in Denmark, which has, you know, yeah. uh, they have legalized medical. We held an event in Colombia, which is legalized medical. We had Canada and I was looking at Asia. Uh, we scaled some of that back uh, because of the pandemic, but you know, this is becoming a global industry. So we're, we're trying to identify where everything is going, where the needs are in a really fast growing, fast changing sector. 
Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's exciting. And yeah, you guys will be on the forefront of, of kind of the media and the journalism. And that's what we need these days, right? There's so much fake news out there and just clickbait trying to get people to, to, to read an article that has no content at all and just yeah. a picture. And so, uh, you know, I think it's like, it's noble to seek the truth, right. And, uh, let everybody know and educate them and, and kind of be validated in that, that regard. So. Absolutely. That's what we try to do. Yep. It's great. Any, any business books you're reading now or anything that's intriguing you'd like to share? You know, um, no, I'm not. I haven't been reading much, unfortunately, because I've been so heads down um, in this. I'm My books and my education is coming right now in the real world of taking over as CEO of this company in January of 2020 uh, after almost a decade of growth and then dealing with the worst case scenario that wasn't even imaginable before. Yeah, three, um, months, three months into your, your job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three months, you're like, oh man, what is going on? So really this last year and a half has been grueling. Uh, and when I'm reading, I'm actually not reading uh, business books. Um, I'm reading a book right now on Roman emperors. Uh, okay. I'm trying, in my free time, I right now, because work is occupying so much, I, I've moved away from books. What's the uh, book? The Roman Roman book? Uh, it's the 12 Caesars. Okay. That's cool. Um, yeah. I, I love ancient Roman history. But we also, um, you know, before the pandemic there... We had Mark uh, Randolph from uh, uh, Netflix, one of the co-founders of Net- Netflix, speak at our event, and he had a great uh, he had some great takeaways for for everyone. And uh, it was really his book is called "That Will Never Work," and okay. that's what I was reading before the pandemic because he he talks about how you have to create a culture of innovation at a company and not be afraid, afraid to fail, which I think we've all heard, but he lived that. And, and this book talks about, you know, how when they were building Netflix, it only took that one good idea and everyone thinks he's brilliant. But he had a lot of ideas that didn't work before that. Right. And so he had to keep that culture instilled in his company. Yep. Um, and, you know, for every a hundred, hundred ideas you try, they all might be utter complete and utter BS or terrible, but that gets you to the one that, that could be game changing. So I, I, you know, I, I had read that before the pandemic and was all pumped up, and then uh, everything went out the window. <laughs> yeah, but you know, every every failure is really just a learning experience. You know, it's it's all about your perspective, and if people take a positive perspective on it and say, "Hey, what can I what can I learn from this situation?" You know, there's a lot yeah. more positive outcome than if they look at it and say, "Like, oh, why does this happen to me?" And, and you know, they're all they're all negative. Um, exactly. So that's a, that's a great uh, you know lesson to live by in general. So it, and. Uh, Sounds like you guys are back, back, kind of getting, getting, uh, ramping back up, and it'll get back to normal soon. If probably not bigger than ever. So, yeah, we're we're excited. Awesome. So, where, where can listeners connect? Uh, I mean, what's what's the website? You know, how can they get in connection with you if if they need to? Yeah, to- um, our website is mjbizdaily, mjbizdaily.com, and that's our main portal into everything we do, including mjbizcon, which is our big conference. And uh, I also have a podcast I started called Seed to CEO. And it's really, it's actually aimed at, I talk to CEOs and founders in the industry uh, and uh, kind of distill out their uh, success stories. Uh, <laughs> and it's aimed at people that are looking to get into cannabis. That's okay. that. It's not aimed at people in the industry. It's really those who are looking for Intel business case studies and inspiration. So um, you can download Seed to CEO okay. wherever you get podcasts. Um, 
Yeah. And then if people want to reach out, I'm at uh, Chris, C-H-R-I-S dot Walsh at mjbiz.com. That's awesome. Yeah. Seed to CEO. It's a cool name. Uh, playing the words there. And yeah, so for the budding entrepreneur wanting to learn about it, right? It's a good good way to start and get on your website and like I said, see, see where the, the opportunity is. Absolutely. Um, cool. Well, I appreciate you hopping on here and, and sharing all your, your industry knowledge and give us a good landscape of where it's going. And uh, yeah, it's uh, something to look out for. So I, I appreciate your time and, and thank you. Thanks for having me on and, and try those beers. See if you like them. <laughs> Will do. I'll see you. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.